Welcome again to those who are here and those who are watching later or listening to the podcast. In these last weeks of summer, we're doing a series we're calling a quick stroll through Genesis and Exodus. Those are the first two chapters in the Hebrew Bible. They tell of creation and of the formation of the people of God. And as Angela read from us from Paul's letter to the Romans, those are God's covenant people who were chosen to be blessed and to bless the nations of the world. And from them comes our Messiah, Jesus Christ. But just like us, these people of God weren't perfect. They lived faithful lives, yes, but they also demonstrated human brokenness. One of my seminary professors, John Golden Gay, wrote that there are no heroes and villains in these stories. The hope and the gospel of these stories lies not in the moments when human beings get things right, as they occasionally do, but in the fact that God is making promises come true through the whole story and not just its acceptable features. So there are no superheroes. And this morning, we're going to focus on the story of Jacob, the one who wrestles with God, who is not exactly a villain, but not exactly a hero either. So listen to God's word from Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 31. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, it's interesting to follow Pastor Dave's sermon last week about wrangling and wrestling. If you remember that, last week, Pastor Dave talked about the difference between wrangling, which is disagreeing, arguing, fighting, and wrestling, which was grappling together over important issues. The lesson was that we are to be people who can wrestle with the truth while preserving relationships. And here we have Jacob wrestling with God. Now that's the ultimate high-stakes wrestling. You know, I kind of feel like if Pastor Dave was preaching this sermon, he'd share some high school wrestling pictures, right? <laughs> and I almost reached out to the water molders to get some and prank him. But he's not here, so it wouldn't be fun. And you know, and I was in a cheer dance group in high school, so my wrestling pictures later 
they'll be of middle-aged me. But first, remember, let's remember who's Jacob and how did he get to this place of wrestling with God. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, the patriarch of the covenant with God, he receives God's promise that he will be the father of a great nation, that his wife Sarah would have a child, a child of the promise at an advanced age. Abraham eventually has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac was this beloved son of the promise, the son of Abraham and his wife Sarah. And Ishmael was the son of Abraham and his slave servant, Hagar. You might know the story. There is pain and suffering in this family, in this generation of siblings. Oh, and in the next generation too, Isaac has twin boys with his wife, Esau and Jacob, our Jacob from our passage this morning. Jacob is younger than his brother by just minutes in a culture where being the oldest son is full of meaning and privilege and blessing. His name, Jacob, literally means grasping his heel. He's born grasping his brother's heel. And Jacob is a favorite of his mother, while Esau is a favorite of his father. And how does Jacob contend with being the youngest son, the less favored son of his father? Jacob, well, he becomes a bit of a manipulator, a kind of a trickster, tricking his brother and his father. With his mother's help, Jacob impersonates his brother, tricks his dying and blind father to get his blessing as a firstborn son. And after this, Jacob fears his brother's wrath, and he flees to live with extended family, with his mother's family. And yet, while fleeing from his brother, Jacob has a vision of God and this beautiful message. God said to Jacob, know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, God promised that Jacob's descendants would have this land, the land of Abraham's promise. Despite Jacob's deceptive ways, God works through Jacob. God promises to be with him, and that's good news for God's people who sometimes veer from perfect behavior. So Jacob goes to live with his mother's family, and he works for his uncle. And then the trickster Jacob encounters another trickster, his uncle, who tricks Jacob to marry two daughters, doubling his obligation to work for earning these two wives. Jacob was only in love with the youngest daughter. So Jacob, he continues his trickster ways, but that actually seems to be the way of his family, tricking each other and wrangling, and more trickstering happens. I don't know if that's a word. More trickstering happens between Jacob and his father-in-law as Jacob plans to leave with his wives, his family, and the flocks he has developed. But finally, finally Jacob's trickstery ways, all his clever wrangling, his self-promoting, and his self-protecting ways, they're about to catch up with him. As Jacob leaves his father-in-law's land, he's finally about to come face to face with his brother, who he hasn't seen for over 20 years. Finally, his trickster ways won't help him. He's reached the end of his ability to wrangle a situation to his benefit. And in the passage we read this morning, he spends the night alone, preparing to meet his brother, not knowing what will happen. 
And then he encounters this manifestation of God. He struggles, he grasps. Jacob wrestles all night. Was it an angel? Was it the manifestation of the Lord? Jacob believes he glimpses God's face. And yes, there's a lot of mystery here. Why does God not overtake him right away? You know, he's God. Why does the wrestling take all night? And this is what I believe. I believe that God doesn't use his full strength, but allows Jacob to wrestle for as long as he needs. Jacob apparently needs all night to wrestle with God, even with his injured hip. He holds on and asks for a blessing. Did you catch that? He asks for a blessing. That's kind of how it all started, right? Jacob's been a trickster, but what was yearning beneath that trickster way? He yearned for his father's blessing, and he tricked, and he manipulated to get it, but in the end, it really wasn't his. Not really. He got the eldest son's blessing through trickery and not in his own name. But God, God gives him a blessing that's really his own together with a new name, a name defined by Jacob's relationship with God. The new name is Israel, God persists. God has persisted with Jacob. Well, for most, most of us, we've got some similarities with Jacob, right? We're not all hero and hopefully just a little bit of villain and not too much villain, but God will persist with us throughout that. So what can we learn from Jacob's experience for our lives here? This is what we learn. Wrestling is where the blessing begins, and it starts with self-awareness. It starts with assessing our affliction. Where's our life not working? Self-awareness means sometimes you need to ask, what has been my crutch? What has been the way that I address pain in my life? Do I hide? Does my yearning or my needs define me? So I ask you, what defines your life's struggle? What are you grasping for? If you look at the longer arc of Jacob's life and not just this passage, it's really the defining experience of his life, struggling to be the one who's blessed, the one who is loved. And we are most formed when we're pressed to examine our inner self, our inner heart, because we're prone to self-protective ways. The world is hard, and we don't like to be vulnerable, right? We heard Christina's reflection today. We don't like to be vulnerable. It takes some work. We have to figure out how to react to the broken world and the hard and broken things around us. You know, maybe we have a little imposter syndrome and we carry the burden to perform and protect our true self. Maybe the world has weighed us down and we've been formed or disformed through pain and relationships. And sometimes maybe we're Jacob the betrayer or maybe sometimes we're Esau, the one betrayed by a family member. Or maybe we struggle with our own bodies and minds, how they can be frail and betray us with life-changing injuries or illness. Of course, you might find it hard to define your burden. Maybe you haven't examined it. Maybe you have a burden of modern life. This week, I read an article in The Atlantic by Jake Meador about the misunderstood reason why millions of people have left the church. Hmm. 
caught my attention. And Pastor Dave's too, he sent it to me, and I'm like, I read it too. But this um, author suggests that the underlying challenge for many is that their life is stretched like a rubber band, about to snap. And church attendance feels like an item on a checklist that's already way too long. Contemporary America isn't set up to prioritize mutuality, care, or common life, really. American life is designed to maximize individual achievement. Does that feel right, church? This is what he wrote also, that the difficulty is that many of the wounds and aches provoked by our current order aren't the sort that can be managed or life hacked away. They're only resolved by changing one's life radically, by becoming a radically different sort of person, belonging to a very different sort of community. I read this and I thought, this is the kind of wrestling that can't be resolved by programming in the church or by nagging or well-meaning messages from your pastors asking you, where are you? It's really an internal work in your own heart. It's an internal work between a person and their God. So this is what happens for many of us, I would say for all of us, in the dark of the night, when the time is right, when nothing else works for us, when we're ready for the hard work of growth, we wrestle with God, and God persists with us because wrestling is where the blessing begins, starting with self-awareness, but requiring that we embrace the hard work. It is difficult hard work. I'm not gonna tell you otherwise. Wrestling with God radically changes you. There is nothing that we do in life that strengthens us or changes us that happens easily. You know, in the last few months, I've been going to a trainer for strength training, been concerned with core strength and bone density. Vanity never got me to a trainer. Feeling weak and older did. So there's one of these machines at the gym. And this is what I've learned. I need a trainer to push me to use these weights and machines as I grow stronger. But first, I had to decide to do it. And so this machine is called the preacher's curl. Because <laughs> you extend your arms out like you're over a pulpit. <laughs> so maybe I'm your trainer today telling you it's hard. It's hard. It's up to you, but you can do it. God will persevere and persi persist with you. You can lift. <laughs> you can lift and give God your burdens and your yearning. That is the work of wrestling with God. Our burdens may not go away, but we'll find that they don't define us because what defines us is that we are God's beloved, says your trainer. Our burdens, our pain, and the world's priorities don't define us. God defines us. So finally, what we find is that wrestling is where the blessings begin and we need self-awareness. We have to embrace hard work. But then we move into a new day, church. After wrestling in the dark, after the heavy lifting, we're to move into the light of day with a new name, Beloved. We're beloved. The point of a name, if you think about it, is to know others and to be known in the community. You don't need a name if you're alone in the dark. But to come into the light, to give and receive grace and to be known, you need a name. And Jacob, Jacob has a new name. He's no longer defined by his grasping, his needy ways. He's renamed. He's Israel. God persists with him. But he's still not perfect. 
He's still not a hero, but he's now defined by his relationship with God and not by what he doesn't have. I'll repeat that. He's defined by his relationship with God, but not by what he doesn't have. Jacob, Israel, limps into a new day and bravely meets his brother. He finds God's mercy and grace. So we don't hide our limping. We don't hide the places where we wrestle with God if we seek to walk into the light so that we can give and receive grace to each other in the light of a new day, knowing that our burdens can be seen, our wounds can be known, but they don't define us. So in closing, I'd like to share a poem by Jan Richardson. It captures this idea of wrestling with God. It's called Jacob's Blessing. If this blessing were easy, anyone could claim it. As it is, I'm here to tell you, it'll take some work. This is the blessing that visits you in the struggling, in the wrestling, in the, in the striving. This is the blessing that comes after you've left everything behind, after you've stepped out, after you've crossed into that realm beyond every landmark that you have known. This is the blessing that takes all night to find. It's not that this blessing is so difficult as if it's not filled with grace or with the love that lives in every line. It's simply that it requires you to want it, to ask for it, to place yourself in its path. It demands that you stand to meet it. When it arrives, that you stretch yourself in ways you didn't know you could move. That you agree not to give up. So that when this blessing comes, born in the hands of the difficult angel who has chosen you, do not let go. Give yourself into its grip. It will wound you, but I tell you there will come a day when what felt like limping was something more like dancing as you move into the cadence of your new and blessed name. So church, as we come to this communion table today, whether you limp or dance, know that God seeks after you. God persists with loving you, loving you all of your days. In church, do we say amen to that? Amen. amen.